0: Hello and welcome to the Library Cafe. I'm Thomas Hill. My guests today are Ronald Patkus, Associate Director of the Libraries for Special Collections and the Frederick Weyerhauser Professor of History, as well as Professors Nikolai Firtich and Dan Guryanu of the Department of Russian here at Vassar College. They're here to discuss the great Russian writer Ivan Turgenev and the exhibit on view in the Thompson Memorial Library entitled Ivan Karnegev, and his library. That exhibit is on view through June 10th of this year. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. You know, I have specific questions for Ron about the exhibit and uh, some of the items in the exhibit, but I think most of our conversation might benefit from a kind of open-ended discussion of Turgenev, his life and works, and his literary legacy. Dan and Nikolai, you know him well in that he's a feature of the Russian school curriculum, which you must remember from your youth, and uh, you teach him also in the Russian curriculum here at Vassar. So, I guess first question is when did Vassar begin teaching Russian? The department's
1: been here a long time. Yes, uh, yes, it's a long history. Actually, Vassar was the first among the Seven Sisters, and generally speaking, uh, perhaps one of the first liberal arts colleges to offer Russian. It was in the mid 30s, uh-huh. and the history is uh, very uh, interesting. President McCracken was a very dynamic. leader uh, of the college and the Soviet Union was obviously on the rise back then, Uh it was something of an economic miracle, something like China Uh uh, in recent years, so so there was a tremendous interest in the Soviet Union. Diplomatic relations were established in 1933, Uh, under FDR, uh, whom McCracken knew very closely because FDR was... Yes, yes, yes. yes. And uh, it happened so that one fine day, an insurance agent knocked on the door of his residence Uh asking whether he would like to purchase life insurance. And President McCracken answered that he already had life insurance, but he asked the agent about his accent, that he had an interesting (laughs) accent. And it turned out to be that it uh, was a Russian emigre, Nikandor Strylsky, a man with uh, a fascinating biography. He was an <clears throat> agricultural engineer by education. He became an officer during World War I and fought in one of the regiments of the Imperial Guard. During the Civil War, he joined the whites uh-huh. and fled with the retreating white army and ended up in Paris and became involved with Diaghilev's Ballet Rus. Uh-huh. And with the Ballet Rus, he came to the United States and here he had to stay because he had a uh, during World War One, he was gassed on, uh, on the German front uh-huh. and so there were complications no? so uh, he, he stayed behind basically and I ended, uh, ended up selling uh, insurance and uh-huh. McCracken approached him and said w- w- you know He's an educated man. Wouldn't he like to pursue a career in teaching? Uh And so he began simultaneously teaching and attending a PhD program in Columbia, Uh uh, in New York City. And so he was the very first teacher of Russian Uh language and Russian literature. And perhaps McCracken, who was uh, quite a skillful politician, there were elements in the Russian curriculum before. Courses on Russian history were offered as early as 1908 or 1909. Uh and then uh, of course uh, Holly Flanagan Uh, Uh She was very much into things Russian. She was very much influenced by Russian and Soviet avant-garde theater. Uh Uh, She was actually the very first Vasa professor to take a group of uh, Vasa students to Russia, also in the mid-1930s. And so McCracken was playing a balancing act because Holly Flanagan was unquestionably red. Uh She was so pro-Soviet. And uh, uh, so he uh, hired the, the first teacher of Russian who was a former white officer. (laughs) Uh So there was a white-red balance.
2: Uh, I've seen some books in the library with the book plate mm -hmm. of Strelsky. Oh, yes. yes, He he gave a lot of books. Yes, yes. He he
1: collected... uh, It was a time when you could buy really precious editions of Russian books uh, rather easily, not because of all the plight of the Russian immigrant community. He was very active. And as a result, uh, we have uh, a number of... uh, great books. Some of them are, by the way, scattered in general shelving area. Perhaps mm-hmm. You should yeah. co- co- collect them, because some are really rare editions. Yes.
0: The, the way the Turgato books all talk about so that. Yeah. Yes. yes, yes, yes. 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 Um, it's interesting. History. Italian has a similar history in that they hired Margaret Scolari. She was an Italian herself. Uh, she was interested in the art department and became a wife eventually of Alfred Barr, the uh, founding director of the Museum of Modern Art, who was teaching here at, in the Vassar Art Department at the time. Uh, McCracken also asked her if she wanted to teach Italian in this case, and she said sure, but she didn't have any teaching experience. Mm-hmm. So Those were an, yeah. the golden days. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So she was able to get an education in the college. She started studying in the art department for a bachelor's degree and finally got an MA in art history and she became a force herself later on behalf of Mo Man Barr, working with Barr closely as he set up the Museum of Modern Art and also a force in the New York art world for a good fifty years. She was one of the people who started the Artist Rescue Committee during the Second World War through which artists like Mondrian, uh, Lipschitz, uh, Max Ernst came to the United States. She was also uh, you know, a former art historian. Interestingly, they gave her a student visa to come to Vassar. She couldn't get a regular visa because of the bad repute that the Italians were in at the time with Mussolini. This was in the nineteen twenties. Right, of course. And, yes. and Mussolini uh, yeah, yeah Mussolini yes. was in power. Right. So, uh, you know, I thought also, you know, we just talked about the department a little bit more because we have a number of majors. Uh, do you know what the what you average in terms of Russian majors? Uh? Uh,
3: last year, well... Twelve uh, ah, last year, twelve majors great. graduated, uh-huh. uh, and uh, six correlates, uh-huh. minors. In yeah. other words, right. Okay. And so uh, on the average, I think this year we probably maintain about uh, twenty majors, uh-huh. and maybe about ten, you know, Um uh-huh. uh, so, uh, yes, you know, quite a few for a department of our size. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it,
0: that, that's fascinating. So, the question is, you must have a sort of sales pitch, what do you have to offer? And, I mean, of course, there's the literature... There's music, uh, you know, the arts sort of generally dance, right. ballet. Uh, I've got freshmen who are very interested in the Russian department because of they their background in music to start with. So. Right now,
3: but know, but yeah. I'd say the uh, the major attraction is literature. 19th uh, century Russian literature, yeah. primarily, yeah. Yeah. is really what draws the attention of the uh, modern undergraduate yeah. students, yeah. either at Vassar or at the Yale yeah. to this yeah. matter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, first of all, big names such as, of course, Dostoyevsky, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Tolstoy, Tolstoy yeah. right? Surveyed. And uh, then, you know, we bring them to others. Yes, right? yeah. um, uh, so, uh, our course on Russian classics, uh, oh, the 19th century Russian literature, is probably one of the most popular courses. Yeah. Uh, yes, and, uh, this and
1: Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. But also, needless to say, we offer a, a whole range of courses on the 20th, 21st century. Right. Cinema is also quite popular. We offer monographic courses on... Eisenstein, on Tarkovsky, okay. thematic courses, uh, World War II, Russian yeah, sci-fi, yeah, yeah. Uh, things North like that. Like Nabokov, also, yeah. right, oh, yeah, also, yeah. and
3: uh, yeah. the Russian avant-garde, yeah. you know, art and literature. Ah, uh, yes, art. Yes. Well, we both have a, an art connection, so... Yeah. Yes, we and, do, yes. historically. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Professor was you know, through theatre, yes, and uh, mine is really through painting. Yeah, yeah. So we
0: also have this robust relationship with the Hermitage and uh, Junior Year Abroad program. Yes, I mean, the Russian department does. Uh, right. Which the art department is very excited about. I have to say. I mean, it was one of the values that they waved in front of candidates for the Loeb Center job. Actually, uh, you know, oh, with the director
3: of Yeah. So we had this program for a while. Uh-huh. When was it? Two thousand and five, right? I think two thousand and five was the first so it will be already in the 14th year. year right that was the that first one well, uh, and uh, the hermitage has always been involved in the program yeah. although uh-huh. our partner initially was not the hermitage but for the last 3 years the hermitage has been our main well, yeah, partner main, yeah. Main, yeah. main partner yeah. in St Petersburg and this is a semester program yeah. which from the beginning has been art history oriented yeah art history and culture right and uh, all courses are taught in english with the exception of the Russian language, that uh-huh. students yeah. uh, can take either there or they can continue to start a Is, at is
0: it
1: headquartered in St.
0: Petersburg? St. Petersburg, Saint Petersburg. Saint Petersburg. Yes. Yes. We do go
3: to Moscow, we
1: take our students to Moscow for a long weekend, but the headquarters are yeah. in St. Petersburg. It's a full semester, yes, so it's either a spring semester or a fall
0: semester, but... It's it's full. It's, oh, it's just full. Uh, it's just full. It's it just fall. It is fall. So they don't get too deeply into the winter before they, they, can the holidays, no, they get to hold on. No, you know the fall well, is separate.
3: You know, right when yeah. we get there, it's still summer. And, yeah. you know pretty much early September, and then it stays relatively. You know the weather stays relatively pleasant until yes. about that. I was in Moscow in December, and it snowed every day. Um, it yeah, could it no, then, yeah, and then. it yeah, couldn't yeah. snow at all. You know, yeah, so that's it is very, very, very much yeah. like here. It's yeah. becoming unpredictable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, Saint Petersburg has two major art museums, right? Uh-huh. The Hermitage yes, in Saint Petersburg, uh-huh. which is a huge complex, uh-huh. and the Russian Museum, uh-huh. which features the largest collection of Russian art. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And so uh, it's. Uh, you know, one course is taught at the Hermitage, or the premises of the Hermitage, yeah. and another one is taught at the Russian Museum, uh, focusing on the Russian art specifically. So, uh, it, uh, it's a well balanced program. Yeah. Well, I noticed when I visited, I visited
0: national art libraries in Moscow and Saint Petersburg, and they right. were also theater libraries because they combine yeah. all the arts in a sense, in a sense and all right. the Russian right. artists designed for the theater. So, you know, they seem to. So let's talk about Turgenev then. Can you both possibly talk a bit about his background uh, to sort of set the scene, since we're talking about his library especially with this exhibit.
1: What was his childhood like? Where does he come from? Turgenev belongs to the golden age of Russian novel, and for a very long period of time he was regarded unquestionably the quintessential Russian writer, number one Russian writer, but eventually he was eclipsed by his great contemporaries, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tolstoy Le- Leo Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, and, and so now he is perceived in, in the shadow of these yeah. giants, really, really think. gigantic, gigantic yeah. figures. Yeah. His background was uh, aristocratic. He was born into uh, an old uh, and uh, wealthy family, which was a blessing on the one hand. Uh, On the other, he grew up on the rural estate of his mother and witnessed up close the abuses of serfdom, Uh uh, which he came to hate with all fibers of his soul. And throughout his life, he preserved hatred uh, and intolerance for oppression and violence. Uh, really, uh, nah, and uh, uh, sometimes he's considered to be uh, his one of his collections, uh, the Notes of a Hunter, described as a uh, Russian equivalent of Uncle Tom's Cabin, yes, uh-huh. uh, that they supposedly yeah. played uh, a, a significant role uh, in uh, expediting the abolition of serfdom. This is perhaps an exaggeration, but there is there is something. Yeah, there's a lot of human country.
0: interest in people and in, yes, in, yes, in their plight, yes. serfs especially. Uh, uh, exactly. Uh, and
1: not, not just the plight, but showing that how rich uh, the internal world is and uh, how uh, just humanly impossible to to, to, to to have this people as uh, serfs, as, as somebody who is inferior to... This is really
3: the poetry of peasants' life, right? Uh, this kind of lyricism. Uh, uh, and Gostorgeniev... Uh, 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 Really, you know, was a poet. He yeah. started his uh, oh, oh, literary yeah. efforts right path as a poet. And as he, a poet, he, yes. and he was
1: uh, oh. interesting enough. He was a second rate poet, yeah. but what he brought from poetry into the prose poems, yes. is the sense of form uh-huh. and structure, uh-huh. yeah. uh, and that also what differentiates him uh, from Tolstoy and Dostoevsky. Yeah whose novels were aptly called by Henry James, who, incidentally, admired Turgenev and was his uh, friend and uh, admirer. He called their novels loose-baggy monsters, Uh, these enormous creations, uh, unstructured. This is perhaps an exaggeration. But Turgenev's novels are short, neat, very formal, almost very, very like short yes, yes way, exactly, beautifully you know, exactly you know. composed yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah.
3: yes, yes like poems, yeah. in a yeah. way uh, in a way, and he's yeah. also very musical, uh-huh. right? There's a, you know, ah. he, he's very sensitive to yeah. intonations to uh, the sounds of nature he was able to really translate it into words with such beauty and elegance, yeah. and yeah. Uh, seemingly so effortless, right? when you read his uh, um, yeah, various passages uh, yep. throughout his novels that yep. uh, really strike you with this musical quality and sensitivity. Uh, uh, yeah. And w- at least one of his poems became a very popular
0: song, yes, that people know when I write. Yes, I uh, yes. The Misty Morning. Yeah,
1: which he wrote incidentally, he was very young, he's in his mid 20s, and wrote this is a romance, a nostalgic a romance. He wrote it uh, at an important time in his life when he had parted with one of his romantic interests, who incidentally was the sister of Mikhail Bakunin, his friend and uh, The leader of anarchists, Russian and European anarchists. There was so much going
0: on in Europe and Russia at the time. Yes, Uh, yes, yes. Uh, yes. A lot of
3: repression
0: of artists, yes. I mean, the state had to, so it was a dangerous time for people with political ideas, I'm sure. Yes, yes.
3: Well, see, uh, right, yes and no, because uh, Turgenev spent, as you know, know, numerous years abroad. uh, Yeah, yeah. So nobody prevented him from traveling and spending... uh, He spent some time, a very short
1: spell of time, under house arrest for publishing uh, an obituary, incidentally, to to Google, uh, which was not authorized, and then later on uh, he was because of his connections among Russian revolutionaries who lived in Europe, and um, namely his friendship with, with Herzen, he was summoned to Russia by the Russian Senate, which was something like a supreme court, and was formally questioned about his the nature of his relationship with Herzen. But everything was very polite and uh, civilized, um, uh, so so to speak. Yeah, but Turgenev definitely belonged to the upper classes, to the elite of the society. He traveled freely and spent. More than half of his life in Europe, actually.
0: So, was he very careful politically? I mean, I've been reading Chaucer lately, who has to be very careful because where these writings. For our family and their Mm. factions. Mm. Uh,
1: He was careful maybe the other way around. Dostoevsky, he knew everybody, incidentally. yeah, he seems to have known everybody. Yes, he he had a rare talent of making connections, and sometimes these were long-lasting friendships. Sometimes these connections would go sour. This was definitely the case with his uh, relationship with Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. Uh He almost had a duel with Tolstoy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fortunately, the summons was lost in the mail. <laughs> and Durgenev felt all the absurdity of the situation and it is reflected in his fathers and sons in the uh-huh. dual scene. When both participants understand oh, that this oh, is yes. uh, oh. incredibly stupid what they're doing, but they have <laughs> that, to yeah. follow through yeah, these are other yeah. the rules. And with Dostoevsky, they had known each other for a long period of time, uh, actually, uh, since Dostoevsky entered the literature. But Dostoevsky was very much... Uh, irritated by the self-assured, handsome, tall aristocrat who was teasing him, uh, yeah. was taunting him. And uh, later on they had an uneasy relationship and eventually Dostoevsky was very much irritated by another feature, by Turgenev, by Turgenev flirting with the revolutionaries. Uh-huh. And he portrayed a caricature of Turgenev in his The Devils. Or The Possessed. Uh, uh, or the Possessed, uh, where he portrayed Turgenev as, as a famous writer, Karmazinov, uh, who is looking up at the revolutionaries and trying to appease them in the hope that they would inform him when the revolution begins when the slaughter begins and then he would have time to escape to Europe uh, Yeah, so he was perhaps more careful in this respect uh, he had little to be afraid from the government so to speak
0: so, he does seem to have known everybody from Florence Nightingale to Henry James to yes. all, all the major writers to Dickens to... Uh, I suppose it was the circles that he moved in, uh, the rich and famous to some extent, and he did travel a lot, but he also knew languages, didn't he? Yes. And that seems to have been a real strength of his education.
1: Uh, which was typical upbringing of westernized uh, Russian uh, aristocracy. Uh-huh. And so he was fluent since childhood, he was fluent in French, German and English, uh-huh. and later to that he added uh, Italian, uh-huh. uh, Spanish, because the love of his life, Pauline Viardoci she was a French singer of Spanish extraction, uh-huh. and he uh-huh. wanted to be able to converse with her in her native language, yeah. the classical languages, of course. He was uh, also, he had uh, an equivalent of a PhD, so formally, he was uh, among the most educated and great Russian writers, and he considered an academic career. Oh,
0: that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, he, he, He's the really he, depth of uh, most writers, so... Uh, yes. As writers. So
3: yes,
1: but. yes. No, he was a student of philosophy, uh-huh. and uh, he studied in Germany for a number
3: of years. Uh-huh. Um, well, it was only his uh, language skills that enabled him to... Uh, establish very really close friendships with his uh, uh-huh. counterparts. Yeah, uh-huh. And the ease with yeah, which yeah. you know yeah. he was uh, he was absolutely fluent in French yeah. and as Professor Guillard yeah. uh, said. And it, it shows uh, him in the language German and it? English and he could and so basically from the initial responses to meeting Turgedev, we find that mm, well, you know, the stereotypes of Russia at the time were not yeah. any different from what they're now. Yeah. So usually mm-hmm. when you say you're going to meet a Russian, right, you expect someone unpolished, you know, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, there would be this refined aristocrat who was able to converse with them yeah, uh-huh. on the kind of things that, that yeah. they themselves perhaps yeah. often were not quite at ease with yeah. on the subject, yeah. so that's when impressed them uh, and enabled him to pursue these friendships and that. Uh, yeah at various levels.
0: Also, it must have helped, if he was translating his own works at all, it must have helped him become popular because, as you say, he was the great Mm -hmm. Russian writer of his time before Dostoevsky and Tolstoy sort of took that mantle away from him. And how would Europeans have known him, not knowing Russian on the whole, unless his works were being translated as he was writing them? So at least he knew people who could translate Yes, uh, and
1: it should be added that his works, beginning with his early works, were translated and he immediately became to be perceived as number one Russian writer. Yeah. But also he did really a lot to introduce Russian mm-hmm. literature, both contemporary Russian literature and older Russian literature, authors like Pushkin and Lermontov, to the European Reader. Uh-huh. And he was really instrumental uh, in uh, yeah. introducing Russian literature as a national literary school yeah, to, to, to the West. Yeah. And often promoted his rivals uh, yes. like Tolstoy, uh, like Dostoevsky. Uh, oh, uh, he was yeah. quite generous
0: in this yeah. respect. And Lermontov also then. Lermontov we used to study is a great romantic, of course, but he would have been known if he hadn't been known yeah. in the 19th century by uh, other Europeans, you know, so.
1: Yes. Turgenev is really beginning with his times when Russian literature became a factor in European culture, Uh and he was quite instrumental in this. So let's talk about Pauline Verdo and Baden-Baden. Since the library
0: begins there, that's where it's from, and he did spend time there with her. I mean, she was a big attraction, yes, and... uh, really kind of a mainstay of the last part of his life. I mean, uh, they weren't married, of course, but she was a kind of helpmate, too, wasn't she? Well,
1: they weren't married at all. She was married married to to, uh, his friend. Yes. Um, And uh, it was, uh, well, it's still pretty much... uh, well, if you wish uh, a tabloid subject matter, what was the nature of, of their uh, relationship? Uh, mo- most likely, it was platonic. Uh, he, for um, almost three decades, he was her uh, faithful knight, yeah, so to speak. Imagine, no matter
0: what you read in the tabloids,
1: Pauline Viardot and I are just good friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, she was his muse, if you want. Uh, she was an actress. Yes, uh, she was uh, an yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, opera star an opera star, a real diva, so to speak, and he fell in love with her voice first Uh and with her scenic presence Uh in Petersburg. She, uh, for a while, she sang in Russia, and he and actually a couple of more young Russian aristocrats, they had a circle of her pages, of her admirers, but only he remained, so Uh to speak, yeah, faithful uh, to her, and then he met her husband, uh, who was an impresario, an art critic, a translator, and a fellow hunter, uh-huh. they shared oh, the same oh. passion, hunting. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, and they became good friends and remained friends throughout their lives. And moreover, Turgenev, starting with uh, Baden-Baden years, uh, there was a strange menage a trois. if you wish. Turgenev uh, remained a bachelor uh-huh. and he would follow the Verdos and he would uh, live close to them. Okay. and spent lots of time in the household, yeah. and uh, his own daughter, a legitimate daughter, for a while was brought up in the household, oh, so with, the daughter of, of, uh, with the daughters of, of, of Pauline, of, of Pauline yeah, whom yeah. he loved as if yeah, they were his own, two children, uh, yeah, children yeah. and uh, gave them dowry, and so on and so forth. So uh, in a way, the Verdos became his, his family. Yeah. Uh,
3: and a beautiful house he built there, by the looks of it, anyway. Yes, sort of uh, in Baden-Baden, it. yes, yeah. a very yeah. elegant yeah. villa. And yeah. he left their inheritance to them, to, uh, to her, right? To the other door, as I, far as I know, as far as I remember. He yeah. died uh, in
1: Bourgeville, near Paris. Right, in uh, But he also built uh, there a villa next to their chalet. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, there in oh. Paris also. Okay. Yes, yeah. uh, where they had to move out from uh, Baden-Baden. Uh, no. He followed them. They had to move because of anti-French sentiments, Yes, although yeah. they were very much against Napoleon III yeah, uh, and uh, his yeah, regime. Yeah. But nonetheless, and so they first went to London, he followed them to London and briefly stayed there. And after that they settled near Paris uh-huh. and bought a chalet there and he also bought a villa uh, uh-huh. there and that's uh-huh. where he died. Must be nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the library was
0: assembled in Baden Baden while he was there. He assembled libraries around him, yes, Ron. And, and so, can you tell us about how we came to acquire the yeah. library that he had at, at that period in his life?
2: Sure. So, the library originally belonged to an American academic named Williston Howe. Mm-hmm. He was a professor at George Washington University. And he was a philosopher, And he traveled to Germany a number of times. And it was while he was in Germany that this collection was offered to him. This was in the 1880s. And
0: Turgenev died when? Turgenev died in
2: 1883. Okay, right about then. So it was a few years after his death that these books were presented to Howe, like 1886, 1887. In fact, we have a quote in the uh, catalog which mentions Howe telling about how the books were offered to him. They were represented to him as being the German, English, and French portions of Turgenev's library. Uh-huh. How suspected that he probably owned more than that, and yeah. he probably did, but that these were probably the ones that came from Baden-Baden since yeah. they were made available in Germany.
0: Yeah. So would they have been all purchased in Germany, or did he bring some of them from his mm-hmm. state in Russia or other places? No, they were the all, yeah, purchased all purchased from, purchased from Germany. There, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And they consisted of about 500 volumes. Uh Some of the titles are multi-volume works, so not 500 titles, but 500 volumes. So I think it does make sense to think that there were probably more books, but these were the ones that were left there. Uh Anyway, Howe had the collection for a number of years in the late 19th century, but at one point he began to think about transferring it And this is where we get to the connection with Vassar.
0: Um, It has to do with our hero, Lucy Maynard Salmon, yes? Indeed,
2: indeed. Lucy Maynard Salmon, professor of history beginning in the 1890s until her death in 1927. She was very famous at Vassar for having established this tradition of going to the source. And she was a friend of Howe's. Uh They had gotten to know each other through professional organizations. And Howe had assisted her when she took her own trip to Germany. So they established a a friendship, and at some point when Howe was moving, he thought about transferring the collection, and it was apparently then when the first questions came about whether it should come to Vassar. Uh You can imagine that Salmon would have been interested in the collection as a collection of sources that might be useful Uh to the college. But first, apparently, she was just investigating whether there were any others who were interested, That there weren't. Eventually then, in the early 20th century, this is around 1910, they became more serious about it coming to Vassar. And the class of 1882 Mm -hmm. at Vassar underwrote the project Uh, and provided the funding, which was $500, Uh and it was at that point that the collection came to Vassar. Uh
0: An amazing story really. I know Lucy Salmon was taken to task for spending college money on library books early on. I mean she was interested in building up the library per se apart from primary materials. So it fits right in with, you know. Yeah.
2: She did a number of things to forward this tradition of going to the source, uh-huh. but she wasn't just talking about it. She tried to implement it in the or two. And we have to remember that this project that she had was very modernistic. It was very different from the way that education typically happened at the time, where the students were lectured at and yeah. they were expected to you know, regurgitate on a final exam at the end of the yeah. semester what had been told them. Yeah. whereas she tried to bring a new way of learning yeah. that wasn't simply about the political history of a particular place, but about what was happening to the common people, uh-huh. and she thought the best way to do that was to look at original sources. Uh-huh. One of her famous books you may know is called, you know, History in the Backyard. And the idea that, you know, by the smallest object, you can learn something about it. And one of the famous things uh, she often did was, you know, the way she used that in her uh, examinations. And one of her famous exams was she gave out a train schedule to the American West in the 1860s. And the question was write a history of the development of the American West based on this source. So, point being, the Turgenev collection, I think, was a part of this larger project, Uh and today we have an entire collection in the Rare Books Library, which is simply a collection of sources that she gathered. She also inspired others, especially her former students, to contribute such sources to the college, Uh and I dare say this tradition is still with us today. In fact, speaking of Russian, we have not only the Turgenev Library, but you know we have documents of Catherine the Great, and we have letters of Leo Tolstoy, etc., uh-huh. etc. Et uh-huh. So this is very much part of this larger project uh-huh. of Vassar. Going to the source,
0: yeah, it, it, um, it's absolutely fascinating. She has a wonderful essay about using a library as an historical object to teach people about history. So, you know, she talks about its ecclesiastical origins and then she talks about yes. the chain libraries and then she talks about printing and the explosion of information mm-hmm. and then how the library stacks develop out of that. Mm-hmm. So she takes her students to the library, looks at the architecture and also the collections and talks about history by looking at uh, the whole thing as a physical evidence. So, uh, so this library, it kind of went invisible for a while, didn't Then it? it got sucked into the general collection and... and um, yeah. but you excavated it, you did a kind of archaeology... Uh, the collection
2: has its own history since it came to Vassar. Yeah. When it came to Vassar, there was a question of where it should be housed, uh-huh. how the original owner was very concerned simply that the collection stayed together. You can understand why a collector would want his collection to stay together, but once it was out of his hands, there was very little he could do. Yeah. When Vassar took in the collection, there's a history, which I recount in my essay in the catalog, of how the collection was managed. But eventually, at the point being, at some point in the 20th century, the, the collection was Dispersed to various locations, uh-huh. and some of it ended up in the main library. Uh-huh. Some of it ended up in the special collections library. Yeah. Some yeah. of it even ended up in the annex. Yeah. and we have also seen, from looking at the old accession books, that some of the books were simply deaccessioned or lost yeah, part of it. Yeah, we we was was of
0: it wasn't wasn't thought of as a collection anymore. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah, the yeah.
2: problem was that many of the books were viewed for their importance as book titles, not for their connection to Tergania, which is absolutely appalling because that's exactly the reason why we acquired it in the first place, and it shows that there simply wasn't that wider sensitivity. at, at, in the library for whatever yeah. reason. There is
0: this tendency to oblivion and, and amnesia, even in library collections, which are supposed to be about memory, and, 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 a, and a, even in academic institutions, isn't there? But happily, you had acquisition records so you could figure yes. out what was in this collection. Indeed. And you and and we and went to the... So. And, I,
2: and I, initially, I, I simply from other documentation, presumed that the collection was entirely in Special Collections. Uh-huh. But what, as we looked for certain volumes and couldn't find them, we started to see that there was a different yeah. pattern that had developed. But it's true, we felt now that we wanted as much as possible to return the collection to its original state. We had, fortunately, all of the records of the books that came in, so then we simply had to track them down. That took a lot of time, because we had to find the books, we had to compare them with other editions that Uh were already in the library, etc. As I mentioned earlier, there are many hundreds of volumes.
0: Did Turganyf have a book plate in them at all? He did did have a book plate,
2: but of course when you're looking for a book, you have to start with other... But the book plates did become an important way to to figure out what belongs to them. Vassar had also put its own book plate in the books, Uh but the Turgenev original uh, stamp was was important to see. So So anyway, that took some time, but eventually we were able to gather all the books together, and um, I'm happy that we were able to do that in time for the 200th anniversary of his birth so that we could have these celebrations and, and this exhibit.
0: Is there anything about the collection that tells us about Turgenev and his life at the time, or the breadth of his interests yeah, and
1: uh, his uh, polyglot yeah, <laughs> education yeah, uh-huh, uh, yeah. is definitely yeah. uh, reflected reflected yeah. in it.
2: We should point out none of the books in the Vassar Library are in Russian. Uh, yes, this yeah, is the yeah, portion yeah, that's no, in no, French, yeah, German, yeah, and yeah, English. Yeah.
0: W- wonderful titles. So do you have favorite titles that are in, in the exhibit at all, or? favorite pieces.
2: Uh... Even though there are no books in the Russian language, many of them relate to either Russian literature yeah. Yeah. or a Russian society yeah. or Russian history, yeah. and those are interesting. Some of the other books relating to other topics, though, of course, since we have a
0: copy of Walt Whitman's well, Leeds yeah, and Prats, and it's interesting yeah. to see that he wanted to Yeah, he was
2: interested in Whitman,
1: well, yes, that, that is, speaks to his poetic in a way. I think, yeah, the, the, the exhibition is very representative, and the, I'd say the most... Uh, interested portion of this collection is on display now, uh, so it's really oh, okay. worth browsing. Yeah, it is. yeah, we've got to divide up nicely.
2: And the catalog has a list of the entire collection, uh-huh. so a person ah. could also be led to other books that Yeah,
0: write. I should say you have a wonderful free catalog to go with yes. the exhibit that's in the library. It's called also. Ivan
2: Turgenev and his library, and uh, if anyone is interested, we'd be happy to send it and to And it us.
0: shows up until after reunion weekend on yes. the 10th, 10th of June. Okay, Okay. so I'd like to thank you all for coming in to talk, talk with us about the exhibit Turgenev and his library and the uh, Thompson Memorial Library here in the Russian Department, and I hope we have, the, have you back again. Uh, in a not-too-distant future. Well, thank, thank you very so very much. Good pleasure. Our pleasure.